I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell. And you are listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. This week on Pop It, we're hosted by the AC Hotel in Worcester and joined by our guest, Anita Amin. We're talking Indian weddings, food creation, three-legged dogs, and female friendships. Welcome, Anita. Thank you for having me. We're very excited. I'm excited as well. You're one of those people where if I walk into a bar, a restaurant, or an event and you're you're there, I'm like, oh, it's going to be a fun night. (laughs) Not so many people think that, I think. Um, I have some friends whose boyfriends are going, oh, you're with Anita tonight. Um, Take an Uber. Drink a lot of water. Please don't call me at 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, when I have those nights, I come home and my fiance is always like, oh, it's Hurricane Sarah. You must have gone out with your friends. <laughs> but when you eat everything in your kitchen. Yeah. We were talking <laughs> about late night eating, snacking, because Taylor Swift is a late night snacker. No, it's not even late night snacking. It's she literally sleep eats. Oh, like sleepwalk. Like she sleep like eats. does not remember when she wakes oh, up. Oh, my she mom actually eats. does that as yes. well. And she'll be like, I bought all these groceries last week. What happened to them? And I'm like, I don't want to say that I literally watched you eat an entire like container of peanuts last night, but we just pretend like she lost it, I think. She should get a nanny cam. Yeah. I was just like, just drink a lot of water before you go to bed. And she's like, that's not going to do anything. I was like, well, that's usually what helps me with basically anything in my life. Just drinking a lot of water. I would think. It's yes. like um the Windex in do you remember my big, my bag? big Oh my god, bag? I sprayed on everything. Windex. Yeah. Um that's so funny. So I am a trustee for the Worcester Public Library Foundation, but really my job is just to get an Instagram going. Um, and one of the things I've been asking people is what your favorite children's book was when you were growing up. Do you have a favorite or something that made an impact on you? Um, I would probably have to say well where the wild things are. That was like always my go-to. Um, so I'm first generation American. So the things that I would see like at my friend's house or just like, you know, talking in school was always so different for me than everyone else. But, um, reading was definitely something that was stressed to me very early in life. Um, it definitely, I feel because I read things grew my imagination and I, I don't consider myself a creative person, but I'm a very imaginative person. So I think that a lot of the things that I've had in life, like stem from, just childhood books, reading. Um, there was this book that I had. And it was Martha has a washing machine or something like. And it was just about just like basic, like household, like chores, mom and dad and all the kids do in the house. And I was like, wait, I if I had brothers and sisters, they would do chores too. It wouldn't just be me doing everything. And my mom was like, no, that's not how this works. She's like, it's just you. So you get to pick up after yourself and do your dishes and do your laundry. But I feel like that's also fostered me and like being becoming such an independent person too. Cause I was like, well, if my friends who have brothers and sisters, they're not as, you know, strong as I am because I do everything at home. And my mom was like, yeah, foster that. Like, it's fear behind you. Also, I don't have to do the dishes tonight. So it's great. It worked out both of, for both of us. Perfect. Did you ever want to, like, when you discovered that where you're like, I'm going to go, like, get a sibling. You're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring someone home and be like, this is my new sister. <laughs> well, for me, um, so I have a really large extended family. My mom has seven sisters and one brother. And my dad had seven brothers. And our, like, cousins, like, we're always just kind of everywhere. And for me, um, my parents helped a lot of our family immigrate to the United States. So there was never, like, a... 
um, missing part. There'd always be like a cousin or an uncle and aunt or like even a whole family staying with us. Um, when her uh, sisters emigrated, three of them came over all at the same time and they all had like three or four children and we were all under one house. So yeah. there was probably 15 to 18 of us in a three bedroom house in Webster with one bathroom. And I was, I think I just graduated high school. So I was like going back and forth, like between college and high school and, I, and coming home. And I was just like, this is a madhouse, but like culturally, like that's what it is. Like we always, you just lived with your family and you know, anytime you move somewhere new, like you either had family or friends that they'd reach out to and they treated you as if you were your family. So while I never had a brother or sister, I'm super close to my cousins that are, you know, there's four of us, they're within a month of each other. And then I have a cousin who we lived in the same town and everybody was like, oh, your sister. And I'd always be like, she's not my sister. <laughs> and now we're like, we call, we call each other all the time. And it's really great to have that bond, even though we're not traditional siblings, I would say. The first time you told me about what a big extended family you had, it was when we were talking wedding planning and you said you had a huge <laughs> wedding. So I want to know yes. a, little, a little bit about what it, what went into the planning and like, did anybody have to get cut from the guest, the guest list or did you just accommodate the entire family? So traditionally in an Indian or Pakistani wedding, um, it's anybody that you've ever met in your entire life is basically invited. Um, yeah. So I remember hearing a story about when my dad's oldest brother got married, they printed off like a thousand invitations, which means that could be like 4,000 people basically like, you know, and it would just be like multiple days of weddings and there'd be a cer certain ceremony or a certain function every single day. And you had to feed all of these people and you had to, you know, some of them were coming from villages like legitimate villages that would take days to travel. So that was something that was a priority for me that I didn't want to not be able to share that day with anyone. So it was kind of like, we have to find a venue that works for us. Um, my husband set the bar really high. We got engaged at the Taj Mahal on the busiest day of the year. Wow. Awesome. There were 60,000 people there that day. We also had no idea that was happening. So Was it a, like an event? Um, so in India, the Thursday before New Year's Eve is traditionally like everybody goes there. Um, on Friday, it's the mosque. There's a mosque at the Taj Mahal. So it's only open to local Muslims. So everybody goes there the Thursday before and just like, I don't know if it's, you know, just to see the culture of it, to experience the culture of it, or, you know, for personal reasons or religious reasons, there's, you know, a whole gamut because there's so many while it's in India, there's so many cultures that like combine in that one area. So um, school is also out and people tr traditionally take vacation around like two weeks around that time too. So we were just like, oh, we're on vacation. My cousin's getting married. Let's take a trip, go to the Taj Mahal. And I love my husband to death, but he told me that he was going to propose to me like months before, but he was just so nervous. He had to get it out. And I was like, I'll, I'll just forget. Like, it's fine. Like, we just won't talk about so it. You knew that that day was going to be the day. Yeah. And it was honestly like that whole trip was the most stressful experience of my life. Um, Cause number one, I knew that he was going to propose to me and I was just like, I was just like, just get it out. Then that way you can just be relaxed because every picture we took, he had this like sick look on his face. And I was just like, are you sick? Or like, I'm like, but I didn't want to like, you know, ruin the, the moment. But actually, so my mom is Pakistani and her parents are Indian. They came over in the partition, um, when India and Pakistan separated. So my husband told my mom, you have to come on this trip with us. I'm going to propose to where you have to be there. It is not easy for a Pakistani person to get an Indian visa, even though she's a United States citizen. So it took about six months from the first application to we had to have my cousin 
basically vouch for her in India to a judge, have all this paperwork signed. Wow. Yeah. And um, we had to go to the New York embassy three times within like probably three weeks to get all this paperwork signed off. But the requirements were she had to have this paperwork with her. She had to check into um, a police station when she got there. My mom, you know, not a very controversial person unless you get her fire, her fire started. Um, so she was just like, why do I have to do this? And I was like, I don't, that's what they just want you to do. Did she know about the engagement? Yeah. So my husband like did the whole thing where he talked to her and said, you know, I love her and hopefully made me sound really good to my mom. You know, Asian moms are always like the daughter's fine, but the son-in-law, I want to know more about you, you know? So we're flying. We went from Boston to Dubai to India. And when we were landing in Dubai, my mom looks at me and she says, I don't have my paperwork. I forgot it at home. Oh, no. And I was like, you know, they're probably not going to let you into the country. Right. And she's like, no, it'll be fine. Like my mom always has that like pervasive attitude where she's just like, no, we'll make it work. And like we I've been reading for six months about how like they don't let anybody of Pakistani descent into India, or if they do, it's like a very low number. Like we were reading journalists who were getting married in India and they're like, nope, sorry. So I was like, all right, well, what are we going to do? So like we were in Dubai, like calling everyone we knew, like mom, we have to like get this paperwork to her, like scan it, do whatever you got to do, break into the house, whatever. We land in India and um, we're going through immigration and they're like, you're good, you're good, you're good. And they go, you other line to my mom. And I was like, oh, she's going to get stuck here. And it was about four o'clock in the morning. Our next flight is at 7 a.m. So we're like the least amount of time that this is going on, like possible. So we just like hurry through it. And then they're like, yeah, we're going to send you back. We we don't have any paperwork on you. And like we're begging and pleading. And somehow we made it work. But they're like, you have to check into the police station. You can't go anywhere else. Not we. This is super legal also that I'm telling you about right now. We're flying to a different state in India in three hours at seven o'clock because I'm going to get engaged at the Taj Mahal. And I'm also not supposed to know about this. So I'm like extra super duper. Like my mom's getting deported. I'm not going to get engaged. Like all this crazy stuff is going on. Talk about anxiety. Yeah. (laughs) And like flying is already kind of nerve wracking. Yeah. And between the two flights, it's about 18 hours. So I'm like stewing for 18 hours just like. This is supposed to be the best moment of my entire life. Um, so anyway, we had to get it worked out. We go, we're going to the Taj Mahal and we're staying in Agra. We get to the hotel and they're like, all right, where's your paperwork? And we're like, oh, well, here's the thing. And my uncle, who was also flying with us, um, also American citizen, he didn't have his passport on him. He had, he's flying a national ID card, which is, you know, your overseas citizen. You can still have it. You still have your nationality. Um, he left his pa- American passport in our family's house where the first place we were staying. So they're like, okay, so both of you, we're going to call the cops on you right now because you're not even supposed to be in this area. And we're just like, and then I'm like, oh my God, I'm supposed to get proposed to in two hours. My mom's not going to be here. My uncle's not going to be here. It's me, my husband, my other uncle from California that doesn't even know what's going on. And my cousin who's <laughs> a couple years younger than me. And I'm just like, my mom's like, don't worry about it. And she's trying to not say that I know you're going to get engaged in two hours, but like, just, it's fine. Like, it's fine. So I was just like, all right, I'm just going to suck it up. I'm going to just keep it moving, like whatever. And then, so they're like, okay, we're going back to where we came from. We're going to go check into the police station. We're going to do all the things. I'm like, just go there and just sit still. And I can't avoid any, I can't have any more stress on me right now. So we go, we get engaged. It's like the most amazing thing. My husband is the most hilarious person because he was like 
I was going through security because at the Taj Mahal, there's security. I don't speak any Hindi. I have this wooden box in my pocket that I can't tell the guy oh. there's an engagement ring in here. And he's like putting together the most like basic Hindi he knows to be like, it's okay. It's yeah. not anything It's wrong. an active yeah. romance. Yeah. Yeah. But it honestly, like with 60,000 people there, when he proposed, it just felt like it was just the two of us. Aww. It was just amazing. So we get engaged and then we're coming home and I'm like, all right, we're getting married. Like we're just going to hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. We got engaged in December and we were married by September. Oh, wow. That is quick. Yeah. You had... I guess July to July, one year. Yeah, Yeah, but it was the same thing. I was like, oh, so we're getting married next summer then, you know, as soon as we got engaged. Um, So when we were doing all the planning, it kind of worked out really organically. Um, We knew that we wanted to get married in Worcester just because a lot of our friends and family were here. And I knew that I wanted a big wedding. So I didn't want to do something that wasn't, you know, convenient to almost everyone. Because then it's just like, you know, all the people that I want to be there will just be like, you know. I don't know if I can afford this. I don't know if I can do this. And I was like, all right, so no excuses now. Like, we're going to do this. And, you know, I love Worcester because there's so many cool venues, like cool vendors, everything. So me and my husband um, on our second date actually went to Higgins Armory for our a date. And when they closed, I was like, oh, my God, that's so sad. I just always loved that architecture. My mom worked next door in the lab. So, like, I was there all the time. And Higgins Armory was one of the largest collections in the world of armor and chain mail and weaponry from that particular era Um, and it was built by a businessman who just had a real hobby for it so they've since donated all of those artifacts to the Worcester Art Museum and now the building is just empty and open to events so there's actually some local businesses there now too yeah winery so yeah getting the target demographic back in there absolutely um so we went there and I was just like yep this is it this is what I want um in the South Asian community, there's probably like a handful of venues that basically everybody gets married at because it's just like you're having over 300 people. Where are you going to put all? Mechanics Hall. Mechanics Hall. It's like I know at least like five weddings there. And I was just like not to knock those weddings because they do an amazing job. And it's not just because it's that venue. Every wedding I went to, there was so different. And I was like, I appreciate that. But I was like, I want something that's like my own. I want to do something that maybe is not traditional in the sense of a wedding. Um, but a celebration. So we were like Higgins, absolutely. Um, all of our vendors were either friends of our families that like were in the industry or my friends or just, you know, it was an amazing opportunity because everybody that was involved in the wedding took this as if somebody in their family was getting married. So they like were just open to phone calls at two o'clock in the morning. And they kind of, a lot of them were also of Asian um, origin. So they kind of understood what was going to go into it. And I feel like sometimes when I'd say, yeah, our our number is around 375, like some of the vendors be like, we can't even, we can't even work with you. And that's not even from like a, we don't want to work with you. It's like, we just don't have the capacity to do this. So it was, um, it was definitely a trying time, but I was just like so excited and so gung-ho about it that I was just like, all right, let's do this. Like make it work. Yeah. And I also started a new job and we moved and we bought a house in that time too. So it was just like, you know, when the universe says, okay, you're ready for everything. And you're like, I guess so. And I was like, but it it honestly helped us prioritizing what was important for a wedding versus what was important for a house. And, you know, those like 
gold shivari chairs that were six dollars and i was like yes i want those and then i was like oh my god how much is it for three yeah, four hundred yeah. of them yeah but you think okay i'm gonna get a few eighteen dollars for three wow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like oh you're like, oh, and I don't even get to, keep, yeah, and I don't even get to keep these. Like, this is just a rental fee. So, and I said, you know what? The most important things for us to focus on more were the food and the entertainment and pictures. And that was, and decorations. So, like, traditionally and cultural, culturally, what in particular did you really want to include? So, for us, um, we definitely wanted to make sure that there was, you know, Indian and Pakistani food. Um, but that was kind of a hindrance, too, because... With so many people being there, not everybody is going to want that. So we both were just like, we wanted to do buffet also because I'm just like, I want to eat as much as possible. Um, I want everybody else to eat as much as possible. And um, plated, uh, plated serving for 350 people is astronomically expensive. And it kind yeah. of eats up the time. Um you could be dancing, you could be doing whatever. So we were just like buffet style and what else would be good buffet style. And I didn't want to do like a traditional like Italian or nothing against that. But I was just like, what else would work? Just like your protein, like proteins. Yeah. And what sides. is your husband's cultural background? Um, He's an Eastern European mix. <laughs> so there wasn't like a traditional food that he felt um attached to no unless unless like american chop suey counts but i don't know if <laughs> oh <there's>... totally <laughs> um no so we both love barbecue so that's where we're like you know what barbecue we're going with that and um i had gone to fireflies in marlboro like one sunday very hungover and they had a brunch there and i was like barbecue brunch huh so we ended up going there and i was like all right they do catering let's just eat till our heart's content and like whatever that we love like that's what we'll get and i was like it's already we already know we don't have to have sit down and have a tasting because like if your brunch buffet at your restaurant is good and just you know it'll be good and i was like and i need wedding pictures of me like eating a big rib so I was like, these are all the things that I'm thinking about. And there are some beautiful pictures of me with like one eye open, just like munching <laughs> on like a monster rib. So like those were, you know, I were like, okay, that's it. Food's good. Um, desserts was also another thing where I was just like, I don't want to get a cake, a beautiful cake. And then like, it's just, you know, no one's going to eat it because we're, we're, we're eaters. My family, both sides of my family is eaters. My husband's family is eaters. Like that's what we want. So we ended up finding about Gerardo's in West Boylston. Yeah. And I was like, we're doing mini pastries. We're going to do like a whole table of mini pastries. We'll get just get like a cute eight inch cake that we're going to eat. We're going to cut. So what happened was when we were going to do our cake cut, I didn't realize that all the pastries were on the table with all the food because we set up all of the food like kind of we had um, fireflies come and cater. And then we had my mom's family's my my mom's friend's family's restaurant cater the indian food and we just put out all the desserts well everybody was just eating desserts all with night the apt with all day with the appetizers appetizers so when we went to do our cake cut uh they brought over the cake and it was already half eaten <laughs> that's amazing those are the things you'll remember yeah absolutely and it was just so hilarious that i was like you know what? I can't even be mad in this moment Everyone about it. Everyone keeps saying, like, don't worry about stuff going wrong. That's what becomes a funny story. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with your wedding, um, the things that you think in, are important and, like, if something goes wrong, nine times out of ten, no one will even notice. But it's just, like, those important memories that you have with your future husband 
future wife, whatever it may be, your partner in crime and partner in life. Um, it's important. It was important for us to take a couple moments where it's just the two of us. Um, we did the traditional, we're not spending the night together the night before. Um, we're spending it with our family. We're not kind of just getting that, like, this is it. Like, this is us forever. And that kind of cemented, I think our relationship now was a, a large part was our wedding because it was just like, neither one of us were commitment people. Neither one of us necessarily knew if we wanted to be in a relationship or not. And like all of these things that we didn't know if we wanted to get married, we didn't know if we wanted to have kids, we didn't know any of that. And now here we are six years later, just like, yep, that's my ride or die. Like I'm going to go to bat for him no matter what. So having a wedding that was just like, I still have people that I haven't seen in a while and they're like, Oh my God, your wedding was amazing. And we have friends that are now dating new people that were like, I'm so mad. I missed that wedding. And I was just like, I didn't even like, I knew it was like a fun wedding, but I didn't think it was going to be like monumental in people's lives. I remember it all over social media. People were on the roof of Higgins Armory. And I was like, Whoa, like how did they get up there? You know? Well, there, if there's a will, there's a way. And uh, actually, we took some pictures up there, and I ended up ripping up, ripping one of my dresses. But it's fine. It was all fun. You had multiple dresses? Oh, yeah. I had, like, a total. If I said if Beyonce is changing her outfits, um, I had three dresses. I have a question about the dresses. Yes. Because, um, you know, in the United States and in, like, a lot of European countries, it's very traditional for brides to wear white. And that's different in Indian and Pakistani culture where the do the colors mean have meaning or is it just to the colorful so with um our traditions when people pass away you wear white you don't wear black so we don't wear white in you know celebratory times ivories creams you can do that but like traditionally white you just don't do um I would like to think my spirit animal is a peacock so I was like I'm going as like loud and as like gemstone I wanted to get one of those like gypsy like gypsy wedding dresses from because the lady's just in Waltham and I was like she could probably make a dress for me and then my husband was like absolutely not <laughs> so I was like all right well I'll just have to get one made in India then and then you can't say no um, cool. so we found a really cool dress shop in Long Island and ended up I bought three dresses I didn't try any of them on because they had to be custom made. And I didn't have anybody take pictures because I was like, I don't want my mom sending pictures to people. So when it was time to go pick up the dresses, the lady that I'd been working with was actually in India and didn't tell me. So I was like, I'd been calling for like three days. So I'm like, okay, we're coming down. We're looking at a picture yeah. of yeah. in the dress. And it's the one, I had seen that one. I love that. It's the blue. Beautiful. Oh, is it me yeah. sitting on the chair? Um, I think vows. you're you're exchanging vows. Yeah. Is that the guy that runs the poetry hour? Yeah, so that's Nick Davis. Um, his sister is my best friend, but I actually met him first. So, like, there's they always, like, joke about They're like, oh, I met her first. And she's like, oh, she's my best friend. But um, I've loved Nick forever. And I was like, if somebody is going to say nice things about me, it's 100% going to be him. So it was just, like, the it was the best. Like, I just loved it. We didn't write we didn't write down our vows either. So I was just like, hope this comes out good because I'm just going to sound like a maniac rambling otherwise. But um, it it was just, you know, it was so off cuff and it was so just like in the moment that you could write and re-edit and re-edit and re-edit and you would just not get those true feelings. That's what I'm hoping for too. I'll figure out what I want to say at a time, but I'm not going to read something, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So you ended up getting how many dresses total? Three. So when we went to go pick up the dresses, I was like, um, 
So I bought three dresses. I think they're red, teal, and blue. Uh, I have this receipt and they're like, your dresses aren't here. And I was like, what do you mean my dresses aren't here? How far out are you from the wedding? Um, we're at May. So, okay. so yeah. September. Yeah. So, so we got time, but I was just like, what do you mean they're not here? And I was like, oh, I'm talking, I was been working with this lady. She, they're like, she's been gone. She's in India. And I was just like, okay. Yeah. And I was like, um, is it okay if I go in the back and just see? Cause they were like, yeah, sure. Why not? And then I was like, I don't even really remember what these dresses look like. I hope I still like them. I hope I fit into them because they just took my measurements and like sent it off to India to be made. So we ended up finding the dresses and then like I tried two on and the zippers are broken and I'm just like, what do I do? What do I do now? Like we're in New York. We're not like, can't just send this back to India to get made, but they were really good, had a really good tailor on site and kind of fixed everything and took in whatever I needed. And it's so funny when I see my, my other friends that, you know, a year, they're getting married a year out and they're starting to buy their dresses and doing all that stuff. And I was just like, should I have been stressing out more about this? I kind of just walked in the shop and go, yep, those are the three that I like. That's it. That's easy. So we hear that you have a very unique dog. Oh, sweet baby Eileen. I love her. <laughs> and if you hear me talk about her, that's exactly how I refer to her. And my husband tell, tells me all the time, stop calling her a baby. She's not a baby. She's a dog. <laughs> Fine. She's my baby. So I will continue to call her sweet baby Eileen. Um, um, she was once named by Josh Lyford before he got his own dog. The best dog. It was best local dog. Yeah, yeah, it's still. I don't know if it was a little bit of nepotism because Josh was my roommate for four years, five years. Whatever. Yeah, but um, I'll take it, absolutely. And I do think she is the best dog in Worcester. And I would probably say Southern Worcester County if I'm going to really go there. Um, Yeah, so that was another funny, just like weird universe kismet moment. Um, Me and my husband uh, were living on Man Street and we were just like, we need, I want a dog. Like, that's it. I'm getting a dog. And we both somehow had a Wednesday off together in the middle of the week. And it was his birthday was two days later. And I was just like, well, maybe get a dog. He can't say no because it's technically his birthday present. And so I was like, let's just go to the rescue. Um, we had seen a dog that we loved online. We're like, we'll just go. Like, it's no commitment. We can just go and visit them. We can go play with them and walk with them. And he specifically that morning goes, you're not getting a dog today. Don't even think about it. And I was like, all right, well, let's just go, you know. And I was like, once he gets there, he can't say no. He'll fall in love with something. So we get there and we ask for this one specific dog. And they're like, oh, that dog's in a foster a foster home and it needs to be part of a bonded pair. We live in an apartment in Worcester. There's no way we're getting two dogs, let alone this one dog that needs to be part of a bonded pair. So they asked me, you know, what kind of dog are you looking for? And I just go, uh, a girl dog? <laughs> and my husband's just like, are you kidding me? I think that's enough. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know, because I've never had a pet growing up. So I was just like, uh, I don't know, a cool dog? Um, what is a cool dog, Anita? Um, a dog that likes to wear sunglasses and, like, gets mimosas on Sunday. That's a cool dog to me. <laughs> no, so... They said, we do have this one dog. She's older. She's about seven, six or seven. They found her just wandering on the streets. So they couldn't really age her. And she had bad teeth because she was probably eating trash. And they're like, she's not on the website yet. We just got her. And I was just like, okay. And they go, well, there's one thing. And we're like, what? Like, she has three legs. And I was like, take this dog out right now. Like, I need to see this dog. Yeah. Um, I was also working for the town of Clinton um, in their parks and rec department. And I was like, could I potentially be April Ludgate and get a dog yes. named Champion right now? <laughs> so we meet her and we're just like, this dog is amazing. And 
my husband, who's super active, loves riding bicycles, um, has trail, had trails at the time. We were concerned because I was working a lot and he, you know, got out early in the afternoon. So he spends a lot of times out there. So we were just like, is she, you know, what are her abilities? Like, can she like, can she run around? Can she be on her own? Can she, you know, traverse these trails that they make? And they're like, oh, every person that's walked her has like brought her out into the woods. And like, she just loves it. Like she loves being outside. She's from South Carolina. So I'm like, sure. She spent a lot of times just like laying in, you know, a yard or something and just soaking up that sun. So we walked her, we went home and I go, Brandon, no, like no one else can take this dog. That's my dog. Like that's our dog. She's coming home with us. So we you like, were the bonded pair. Yeah, we were the bonded <laughs> pair. Um, so we asked our landlord and we're like, hey, like we saw this dog we love. She only has three legs. She's a little bit older. And he's like, yeah, but on one requirement. And we were like, what? He's like, you have to let me play with her whenever you want, whenever I want. And I was like, yep, absolutely. Easy. I like faxed over the like, like application. And then the next day they called her like, okay, yeah, we talked to everyone. You can take her home. And I'm like, <laughs> we have a party to go to. Our friend had graduated the fire academy and I was like, there's going to be like a hundred people there. And I'm like, I have to get this dog. Like you can't just like leave her in the, in like the rescue any longer. So they were just like, yeah, um, she might be skittish. She might be not be able to around, around people like right away, you know? And I was just like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? So I was like, okay, the party's right around the corner from our apartment. If she gets overwhelmed, I'll just bring her home. Like it'll be fine. We get her and she was the most like bubbly personality, went over to everyone, didn't run in the road. And every time we would call her, she like knew to come back to me and my husband. And I was like, that's my dog. That's easy, easy enough. I was like, this is what owning a pet is like? Are you kidding me? Yeah, so it's been interesting, um, obviously never having a pet and just like making that like establishing a relationship with a dog, especially one that is not a puppy. So all those like behaviors that they learned, you always hope that like you're getting a good animal. And we know it's not realistic that a lot of times those dogs that are being in fostered and being in rescues are not, don't have the best background. But like, I feel like that's, that's people too. You know, it's like, you got to give them a chance to like show what kind of character they have. And she's just been so funny. She's changed everybody that was either not into dogs or like my whole, my husband's whole family are cat peoples and they love her now. They're just like, when's Eileen coming? Oh, Eileen's not here. Oh, it's good to see you guys. Where's Eileen? And I'm like, oh my God, we created a monster. Well, I see this with kids, but I also see it with animals that so much they reflect the adult in their life. Mm -hmm. So I, it's always the same teachers every year who are like, they always give me the bad kids. I always get the worst class, the worst behavior. And I'm like, nah, they're reflecting you. You know what I mean? And why does she always get the sweetest class? I'm like, cause she's so sweet. (laughs) Right. And I think your dog, it's probably the same way. You guys are so gregarious and charismatic and social that your dog was like, yep, that's what I'm going to be too. Those are my people. Yeah. (laughs) Um, was she named Eileen there? Did you name her? Yeah, no, we got her with the name Eileen, but honestly, it took me about like five days and I was like, Eileen is such a weird name for a dog. And then, and then I was like, oh, her name is Eileen because she only has three legs. (gasps) Eileen! Oh, I was thinking Dexy and the Midnight Runners. Oh, Come yeah. on, Eileen. Right, because it's spelled. Yeah, it's I. It's spelled Eileen. Yeah, because that's what I was curious about was the spelling. Yeah, I wonder how they came up with that because that's really different. You've called her specially abled, which I really like. 
Yeah, um, having three legs, like people come up to us still now after three years of having her going on four years and they're like, oh, God bless you for taking this dog. And, you know, not a lot of people would do that. And just like she doesn't know she's different. Like other than when she goes to the dog park, every dog just like goes up and sniffs it. And they're like, I think you're missing something. (laughs) But she swims she hangs out all of our friends have dogs basically um even out on those trails like she'll she used to take off for like half hour go do her own thing and then come back and just be like all right i'm here and now she's getting older and she's just we moved to holden we have this big backyard and all the time we'll just leave the door open and i'll just like see her just laid laid out in the sun somewhere just soaking it all in so Molly was telling me that one of your other hobbies has to do with creating food. And I write about food for Worcester Magazine and mass foodies and all that, so I'm really curious to hear more. food creationist. I've seen some of your baked goods, some of your bagels and bread. Oh, yeah. That's like a new newfound hobby that I don't know if I want because I'm just like, I can can make bread now. I can be like a, you know, pioneer woman back in the time. (laughs) So I'm like really relearning all those things we lost with the age of technology. Um, yeah. So going back to being young and reading and I loved reading cookbooks too growing up. Um, John from Mama Roo, we always talk about all the cookbooks we had as a kid, like boxcar children cookbook and all that fun <gasps> stuff. So maybe yeah, we could use that as your favorite book. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Were there mysteries in it? Because uh, that was their whole thing, right? They saw mm-hmm. Yeah, so it wasn't. It was like uh, it was like a cookbook for, like, kids. So it yeah. was, like, basic, like, how to make hot chocolate. And, like, yeah. And, like, I think there was, like, a chestnut soup or something like that. And I was like, I don't even know how you can <laughs> soup a chestnut, but okay. Um, and also, too, like, my family food was definitely a big thing growing up. And we would have parties. And for us, you know, a casual family party on, like, a Saturday afternoon is 40 people at minimum. So it you got to cook, you got to make sure that everybody gets what they like. And so that's always kind of just been my hobby. Um, I did a little bit of catering here and there. Um, some were great, some were absolutely terrible. And I think the people for hiring me when I was so green and messed up a lot, but it's fine. What were some of the disasters? Yeah. Yes, that's um, what I want to know about. Disasters. Um, <laughs> I, one of my friends asked me to cater a baby shower and I miscalculated and didn't make enough food. And then I was frosting cupcakes and my frosting just completely melted while I was working. So like sink into the cupcake? It just wasn't even grabbing onto it. I miscalculated how much alcohol to put in the frosting. Um, and I was just, I just stood there and I was like, I don't even know how to fix this. I'm so sorry. I'm ruining your business, but she, we're still friends now. So she forgave me. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Um, also when we lived on Man Street, we lived in a quintessential Worcester triple decker. So we had one of those older style ovens and I was given an 11 pound turkey as a present. And I was like, yep, roasting this. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Uh, didn't check to see how big the roasting pan was. So yeah, I went to go put it in the oven and I was like, oh, uh, it doesn't fit in the oven. I have this 11 pound turkey. What am I going to do? Um, so I ended up breaking down an 11 pound turkey, which I've never done in my entire life. And I was like, well, now you're a butcher yeah. and a baker <laughs> and, and a, a candlestick candle maker. <laughs> yeah. So those, you know, I think that having those kind of like disaster moments and mistakes, it's just like such a learning experience too, that it's kind of gone to my everyday life now um working events um I was an event planner um have my own little business and 
those kinds of things where I was just like, all right, well, I can't freeze. I can't just go like throw out my hands up. So those kind of disasters taught me to always have a game plan. And um, anytime I would ever train people, I would go expect everything to go wrong at once and then just move on and work from it. So definitely had some fun disasters. Um, I worked at a pizza place once and they overproofed their dough and their dough grew so much it filled up an entire trash can. Paul Hollywood would be (laughs) so disappointed. You've overproofed your dough. It's like Streganona where the pasta just overflows through the town. I once tried to make spaghetti carbonara and... I just, I'm never going to do it again. I ended up with scrambled egg pasta. Oh, yeah. It's that, that egg yolk just gets you every time. Yeah. The AC Lounge at the AC Hotel in downtown Worcester is the newest place to be. During May, the trendy AC Lounge is featuring fun and exciting ways to officially usher in spring, showcasing custom signature drinks to celebrate college graduations, build your own bruschetta bar, yum, and a fun pop-up artist event and a meet-the-chef culinary evening on National Hamburger Day. Check out the AC Hotels by Marriott Worcester Facebook or visit them on 125 Front Street behind City Hall. You mentioned April Ludgate, but we like to talk a lot about pop culture on this show. And I wanted to know if there were any depictions of female friendship that you really enjoy in pop culture. Um, actually, from Parks and Rec, I would say Leslie Nope and Ann Perkins' relationship is it's it kind of mirrors the, my relationship with my best friend. Um we're hard on each other when we need to be, but we love each other so much. And I would make her a binder full of all the most amazing things oh, about her. You're the Leslie. I'm definitely the Leslie in our relationship. That's so funny. I We had just talked about Glow a little bit. I really like the very complicated portrayal of friendship on Glow. I like that a lot. Because it's not just with the two main characters. It's kind of, it takes the whole, the whole group into account, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I'd also have to say, I know it's a little non-traditional, but um, the craft. Yes. I just love the friendship that they have. I got, I guess, state like part one and part two. The yeah. you know the third part after they get their powers and spoiler alert, absolute power corrupt, corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And it was, but it was so like refreshing to see like yeah they come from all different backgrounds, but they kind of bonded together over not having a lot or you know, not having the perfect relationship and social status. Yeah. Lack thereof. And they, you know, did protect their friends and it came that movie talked about some gnarly stuff. Oh yeah. And like now watching it again, I was like, how was I like in middle school watching this? Yeah. I'll have to give it a rewatch. I think I saw that movie when I was like nine. We're not going to talk about, oh yeah, (laughs) it was definitely. I, it's funny you mentioned the craft because I think Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a really important piece of pop culture to me growing up. Oh, definitely. And I loved Buffy and Willow. And it was one of the only shows where I think you had two adolescent, well, adolescent, young young people who were talking about trauma and overcoming trauma and leaning on the women around you. And it was such a goofy, fantasy-filled show. But they talked about some really serious and important parts of female relationships. And and so many portrayals of, like, different ways to be a – teen girl or a young woman right so because you, you mentioned Buffy and Willow but then you had Cordelia, Cordelia who was, Faith yeah, yeah. and yeah. Glory <laughs> I love Glory but right it's like the different right like Faith was Buffy's sort of you know counterpart uh, yeah counterpart and, and some people really connected to her mm-hmm. so yeah I think 
That's a really good. Yeah, and in faith really represented good. like you know facing all this trauma and not yeah. dealing with it. And yep. Then you had Buffy who was trying to grapple with it and yeah. develop relationships to help her. Yeah, and also with Buffy too, she was put in a position where she didn't want to do it, but she was like, "Who else is gonna do it? Who else is gonna handle this?" Absolutely, the fate of the world is in my hands. Can you imagine so having? So. Yeah, <laughs> imagine having that much like. All right, well. There's vampires everywhere. I gotta handle this. You're the only one. You're the only one. This is called a hell mouth. <laughs> <laughs> what? <sighs> well, is there anything you haven't had a chance to talk about yet that you definitely wanted to share with our listeners? Um, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to get back kind of more involved in the Worcester scene. I would say I'm like so. I love Worcester so much. Um, I used to do karaoke at Olay that actually brought me a lot of my friends that bought a lot of business contacts. And it was just like a great opportunity to get a lot of people together that wouldn't necessarily interact with each other. And it was just like a bunch of misfits on Water Street on a Thursday night, just singing karaoke. And um, John Schrader, DJ John Schrader was my partner in crime during that. And um, I kind of miss that. Like, I don't know, maybe we, we need another weekly dance night or we need something to just kind of deal with what's going on, you know, you know, we were talking about things getting a little bit dark, you know, we need to bring some light back to Worcester, I would say. And it's amazing to see how much change is going on, but like, we still need to like keep Worcester to our core. And, you know, it's, I love the fact that they're marketing Worcester as much as they are, but like, don't disenfranchise the people that are here that are just been here when it, it's been tough and been here to see kind of the good stuff. We want to get all those people in here. But we want to keep Worcester weird too, I think. Well, I will say I love some of the outside money that's coming in and taking unused spaces or spaces that are left over from our manufacturing days and making them viable. And even if those outside investors fail, we'll have commercial kitchens and all those spaces so local people can swoop in like you, food creationists. I would love that. Or just, you know, I know Worcester Food Hub has like a good um, incubation kitchen and program, but sometimes it's not accessible to people that just, you know, want to do something like a one-off thing or I would love to see a more Worcester focused like an opportunity for people in the community to come in and maybe learn cooking skills or maybe learn business skills that can't afford to go to college or can't go to afford to go to school around here and get kind of that fundamental education back in there teaching high school kids how to manage their money and how to apply for a credit card and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's great that that outside money is coming in, but at the same time, those people that have been here are, might be losing their space. I know with Midtown Mall, even like the Worcester DIY skate park, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on that, yeah, we're resilient, but like we got some ways to go. How can we like apply that outside money to to like enrich the city in those tangible ways like Sarah you were saying empty spaces activating empty spaces but then also maybe like it, like use the money going towards programs like you were mentioning like how to mm-hmm. like where and can I we will strike say, a balance right it's always important to have context on things too like when i look at something like the skate park it's it's a tough one, right? Because the fire department did come in. They found all these violations. It's a national company that has no idea what's going on. And they came in and whitewashed the space and cleaned it up for their investors and for their own financial well-being. Now, should they have communicated that they were going to do that to the Warside kids? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lack of communication. I think uh, anyone who's involved in Warside will tell you, we knew eventually it was going to get ripped down. They knew it. Like yeah. They knew they were in violation. They had had conversations before. But would they have 
like to be communicated with about that before it got ripped Especially, down. Yes. <laughs> that's a community of people and not even just the skaters, but people that would take pictures down there and do any, everything. They had Earth Day cleanup projects down there. They, you know, did make that air. It's been over 10 years since they've been, you know, doing anything to it. Now, CSX is a national company. So did they know any of that? No. And they're involved in so many communities across the country. But is it viable for them to know about that? No. What they saw was that there were trespassers underneath their train tracks. And that's a tough one. Yeah, absolutely. But I think just context is so important. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And your experience... Planning a wedding is helpful to me, too, because I'm like, okay, if she can plan a wedding for 400 people. You got this, Sarah. I got this. Yeah. I hope. I would say don't do a seating chart. It's it's a waste of your time, and people just only sit for, um, like, dinner, and that's it. Yeah, forget that. Yeah, you I told me that over the summer, and I was like, all right, done. Yeah. And that's my main thing about weddings. Like, you talked about the buffet. I... I've had, I love the weddings that I've been to. They were beautiful. But every, a a lot of times at weddings, I sit there and I'm like, I'm just sitting there waiting for the formal serving to be like done. Because I'm like, I'm, I ate, I'm done. Like, I want to go dance. So I think, yeah, I think that's the key. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I have been Sarah. I have been Molly. And this is Pop It. Pop It. Mass Foodies curates exclusive events and publishes thought-provoking content for the food-centric person. When asking yourself where to eat tonight, turn to MassFoodies.com to see what's happening in the Massachusetts food scene. That's MassFoodies.com.